0: Life to me is a really great opportunity to find solutions to be creative to solve some of these pressing environmental challenges so that we can sustain just these amazing landscapes we have in Europe that we sometimes take for granted.
1: Life Zweifels ohne eine enorme Erfolgsgeschichte und ich möchte wirklich allen von Herzen danken die dazu beigetragen haben und mit ihrem Einsatz im persönlichen Einsatz life wirklich mit Leben erfüllt haben.
2: With the EU Green Deal, Europe has embarked on a massive project of change. And life is there ahead of us, paving the way for the concrete implementation of the deal.
3: My name is Chiara Spallino. I'm 27 years old and I was a volunteer in the Life Tuna project. Today, I work at LIPU, the Italian League for the Protection of Birds, dealing with communication. I'm at the LIPU Nature Reserve of Cesano Maderno. It's where our office is situated. It's a slightly cloudy and cold day, but very beautiful because we can see all the colors of autumn. Just a moment ago, a peacock came by. It occasionally wanders around and looks at us through the windows. Hello,
4: everyone. My name is Stefania Tamburello. I'm 27 years old, and I chose to volunteer for the Life Choose Nature project because for me it was a way to continue volunteering with Lipu. I immediately understood the prestige of this project because it was being conducted through the European Solidarity Corps.
5: And from the Lipu Nature Reserve of Cesano Maderno, near Monza in Italy, welcome to Generation Change, the seventh and final episode of our Life is 30 series that celebrates 30 years of green innovation from the LIFE programme. This episode looks to the future and the ways in which young people are leading progress towards environmental protection and sustainability in Europe. Chiara and Stefania, who introduced our podcast, are two volunteers who participated in the LIFE Choose Nature project, known as LIFE Chuna. The project aims to train and lead a group of around 300 volunteers, all aged under 30, to monitor and protect endangered species of birds across several regions in Italy. During her stint as a volunteer, Stefania even helped to supervise a video documentary on life Chuna. I
4: had the opportunity to follow the documentary producer during the filming in Viterbo, in the Lazio region. There, monitoring was carried out on the Montague's Harrier, which is a small bird of prey that nests in farmed fields. It was interesting because I accompanied the volunteers in their operational activities to fence off the nests in such a way as to protect them, and we worked to raise the farmer's awareness so that he would not mow the nesting site.
5: Massimo Soldarini was the project manager of Life, Chuna. He's been working with Lipu since the earliest days of the Life program at the start of the 1990s.
6: Il Chuna è stato uno dei progetti più belli e interessanti della mia carriera da project manager Live Cuna was one of the best and most interesting projects of my career What impressed me most was how beautiful and challenging it is to work with young people I am a bit older than those youngsters, we're 30 or thereabouts And it has been the most wonderful experience to see how they really get into volunteering And then discover activities that lead them towards a career che è diventata per loro una professione. This is a generation that, whether by necessity or by choice, lives with their suitcases packed and ready to travel. They want to travel around Europe and, indeed, around the world. Paradoxically, this generation that lives without borders doesn't understand so much the role and value of the European Union. But the EU's role is fundamental from the perspective of nature protection. And so, my hope is that these youngsters, as they travel the world, will discover the beauty of nature and will learn to recognize it. Not only for what it is, but for what it says about the values of the European
5: Union. At the end of their experience with Life Chuna, Chiara and Stefania both found jobs with Lipu. We asked them what they would say to others about the value of volunteering.
3: I would
4: advise people from every generation to discover volunteering, but in particular young people, because it will enable them to think again about what professional path they want to follow, and they'll grow as people.
3: Certainly, a piece of advice that I would give to other young people who are looking to volunteer is that perhaps you haven't studied biology or natural sciences, but even if you study the humanities or economics, you can find space within an organization like LIPU and to grow in every way as part of a
4: project. Thank you to
5: Chiara, Stefania and Massimo from Life a project overflowing with positive energy. And their contribution is a reminder that 2022 has been the European year of youth. It's been a whirlwind of activities focusing on providing opportunities and inclusivity to Europe's young people. And here to tell us more is Sofia Eriksson-Warteskott from the European Commission's Directorate General of Education and Culture, which supervised this landmark initiative. We, of course, talk to young people.
7: How do you want to design a European year of youth? And what did they say? Uh, They told us clearly uh, there are certain priorities or themes we want to tackle and do activities around and have opportunities on over the year. And one of the top Priorities was that they wanted to devote a lot of debates, discussions and reflections and, and actually expecting action from the policymakers on the climate change, environment protection and everything that you could signify as, as green.
5: As Stefania was saying at the start of this episode, LIFE TUNA was a pilot project launched in collaboration with the European Solidarity Corps, the EU programme on volunteering. It's an initiative launched to enable young people to contribute to a more inclusive society and to respond to some of the biggest challenges facing society. From the European Commission's perspective, the European Solidarity Corps and the LIFE programme and natural partners. The European Solidarity Corps was created back in 2016
7: and uh, at the time we had a great partnership with the LIFE program. We saw already a number of uh, good projects with a very green angle where you could do volunteering on protecting um, yeah, protecting the environment in, in different uh, parts of Europe. Since back then Uh, We can now count on, uh, we we have uh, more than uh, uh, 9,000 participants that have taken part and uh, in projects that are very much focused on the environmental and nature protection and climate action uh, and up to 1,200 specific projects that focus on this. And if you want to figure, we have spent more than 30 million euros on these thematic
5: project. So clearly, uh, we have already a bit
7: of a good uh, good legacy.
5: A new call for projects under the European Solidarity Corps umbrella has just been launched, with 140 million euro available in total.
7: I should say that the Solidarity Corps is a bottom-up programme. So it's not us telling organisations what to focus on, it's very much linked to the, the societal challenges and, and what is needed in, in the local context. But knowing the challenges that we are facing, uh, everything to do with uh, protecting and conserving uh, natural habitats and, and raise awareness about environmental sustainability and climate change, we know that these are popular themes and we can expect a lot of projects focused on this.
5: Thanks to Sophia Eriksson-Waterskott, Director for Youth, Education and Erasmus+, for this focus on life projects with a young twist. We'll come back to her at the end of the programme to summarise all the green opportunities emerging from this European Year of Youth. We go to Angelo Salci now. Angelo spent most of his career working in the European Commission for the LIFE programme until his retirement in 2022. He'll give us some insight into a funding stream within the LIFE programme called Operating Grants, which may be of particular interest to NGOs, especially those in the environmental field, working to engage young people.
0: Well, Operating Grants have been uh, in existence within the LIFE programme since many, many years. So they are one of the, I would call them a standard feature of this programme. And the uh, the objective of operating grant uh, is to give civil society a voice. So how do you do that? There are many means. One of them, which is in exi- which is there and it's uh, it's an invaluable uh, network that we have available, is the network of European NGOs, so NGOs that are active at European level. it aims at increasing the capacity so it's a capacity building tool for uh, these NGOs so that by letting those NGOs grow, the civil society has a better understanding of what's happening in Brussels, and at the same time has a better capacity to reply, respond and feedback uh,
5: to Brussels, uh, what their needs and expectations are from the ground. Thanks, Angelo. You were one of our guests in the opening episode of this series, and now you've bookended our series nicely there. Now, Bankwatch is one of the biggest networks of NGOs in Central and Eastern Europe working on conservation and climate policy. It leads Regenerate Life, a project working in so-called transition regions. Life is supporting the transition from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable and greener society. Anelia Stefanova is from Bankwatch.
1: Live grants, live operational grants and action grants are of crucial importance for Central East Europe. Central East Europe is a region which has still very weak... uh, um, capacity in terms of civil society in the last years uh, we showed that also through the project like ours that increasing the capacity of civil society we could have we could improve the policies of central European countries and became active or sometimes even progressive actors into the EU policy making. Um, they used to be seen as a bad kid in the block, normally very counterproductive on the climate discussions, not uh, committing ambitious goals, but we see currently that it is improving and there is an important role that civil society should play.
5: As part of the European Green Deal, the European Union has created a just transition fund to help coal-producing regions to adapt to a post-carbon economy. In this budget cycle alone, for the seven years up to 2027, the Just Transition Fund will disperse between 65 and 75 billion euro. Bankwatch helps local authorities, business organizations and NGOs to learn more about the opportunities created by the Just Transition Fund. An important condition for receiving support from the fund is providing a timetable for closing coal mines by 2030 or establishing a significant reduction in coal output.
1: Through the dialogue which we are, we are encouraging in these regions, uh, we are able to have a much more ambitious targets for those regions. One of the best examples are the in the eastern Polska, where the, the region uh, committed to have 2040 as a climate neutrality date and 2030 as a co-phase-out, which is much more ambitious than Polish national national plans. We specifically also target uh, the more uh, marginalized or less involved, let's say, stakeholders, like youth or women. Because in these regions, normally you would have um, stronger involvement of trade unions and, and men, men forces, which are heavily involved in the, um, in the mining and operation of energy industry, but much less uh, attention to the youth and to the women.
5: Bankwatch has organized workshops and surveys to understand young people's views and perspectives on transition issues.
1: These regions are suffering from a big a brain drain uh, young people are leaving and um, for the big cities for other opportunities they don't see their future so much in the heavy industry or in the polluting industry as it as it is, as it is the call um, extraction and production. Um, so uh, we wanted to hear mainly also where, how they see the development of these regions. And um, together with also another group, which is called Generation Climate Europe, we developed a regular report about uh, youth involvement in the gestation process.
5: Thank you, Anelia. It's worth adding that in the course of the European Year of Youth, The European Commission has launched guidelines for local authorities to promote youth involvement and the EU Teens for Green project, an open call to fund youth-led actions advancing the green transition in EU carbon-intensive regions, covered by the Just Transition Fund. And that leads on to our next project, still in Central and Eastern Europe, led by another NGO that's part of the fabric of the LIFE program, CEE Web for Biodiversity, an umbrella organization based in Budapest, composed of 33 member organizations in 15 countries. Tor Morante is the communication officer.
2: We're currently leading the implementation of a project where we work with the youth, especially through the projects Young Climate Ambassadors, with products ranging from board games to mobile apps, etc. Just recently, last October, we traveled with four climate ambassadors, Young Climate Ambassadors, uh, to Brussels to have meetings with three members of the European Parliament for an advocacy activity where we discussed the topic of climate financing and loss and damage, Uh, which a couple of weeks later was pretty much one of the key happenings at the COP in
5: Egypt. CEE Web for Biodiversity is targeting young people aged mainly from mid-teens to mid-twenties.
2: All in all, when related to young people engagement, our work aims to provide them, especially those in Central and Eastern Europe, with a platform to build their capacities for communications and activism, being formed on the EU and globally global policy developments, and most of all, to allow them to express themselves.
5: I asked Tor about how young people react to the project's outreach activities.
2: Well, it, it depends on how you approach them. If you follow with the typical approach of uh, we need to preserve biodiversity because of the effects, because of uh, extinction rates, et etc., et cetera. If you are addressing the, the same public as, as usual, the, the bubble uh, that is already aware, you will have no impact. That is why one of the things that we are trying to do in the recent years is to have a different approach, a gamified approach. It allows you to reach different audiences because it's not no longer a one-size-fits-all kind of message. If, for instance, we develop a board game or an international geocaching challenge, it allows us to reach a person that might be neutral to the whole biodiversity conservation issue or to sustainable consumption, We say like, okay, you do not know about this. You're not interested about this topic. What are you interested in? Ah, I love board games. Okay, let's tackle the topic through an activity uh, that you like. And therefore, hopefully we allow you to have a a moment of thought as to the issue through this game, through a climate, stand-up comedy show, uh, through an improvisation, theater,
5: spectacle, and so on. Thank you, Tor, and all the best with the work you're doing under the life banner. Now, one of the many ways in which millennials and Generation Z are shaping the world is through their behaviour, and in particular, the way they move. Think scooters, electric mopeds, and good old walking instead of being stuck for hours in traffic in our cars which remains such a common experience for so many of us Umob life was a project that received funding to promote sustainable mobility among young people and where better to start than universities which account for thousands of relatively short commutes every day Alfonso Cadenas helped to coordinate Umob life And he explains the origins of the project. The consortium
8: was composed by six organizations from four different European countries, uh, Italy, Spain, Netherlands and Poland. During the project uh, we developed uh, three different European conferences where all the sustainable mobility managers from more than 80 uh, European universities have the time to share the difficulties they find when they are trying to implement the sustainable mobility actions. Beside that, the different universities were explaining what are they doing, how are they doing. Ones were focused on pedestrians, another ones on the use of bike car sharing. So it was really important uh, for the universities they can see. What are they doing in other European countries, in other European universities? And they have the chance later on to speak with the sustainable mobility manager from those universities and try to implement similar actions in their own campus.
5: Among the main objectives of the project was to embed expertise and best practice in a network of professionals responsible for managing and promoting sustainable mobility at universities we had two different target groups
8: and one of the main one was the mobility managers of the european universities trying to support them uh, training them uh, technical assistance how they can uh, implement the mobility actions but at the same time uh, we were also uh, launching different kind of uh, awareness raising uh, to the uh, students and the staff of of the campus
5: for instance, the project developed an app for sustainable mobility and two video contests in which students and university staff produced social media videos to support greener mobility. The commitment uh, from young people and
8: also the, the staff from the universities is, is really huge and sometimes it's really important to listen to them because they have many, many good ideas.
5: Thanks, Alfonso, and congratulations to your project for its achievements. We remain in Spain to talk about a more sustainable diet and some tasty ideas for a Christmas treat. The project Menu da Tierra is led by the NGO Asociación Vida Sana, that promotes organic agriculture and wants to give consumers the tools to change the way they eat in a way that's healthy and good for the environment. A similar approach to what we learned about in Episode 4 of this series, Food for Thought, with the sue Life Project. Remember that? Merichel Jurado is Menuda Tierra's press officer and she summed up for us the challenge facing consumers.
3: When they want to make a change in the way they eat, they find it difficult because sometimes most of the healthy recipes, um, they include very um, weird ingredients that they're really not connected to our tradition. We really don't know how to cook it, where to find it. And most of the times, these ingredients, they're not sustainable at all uh, because they come from a very far away.
5: The project's solution is going back to the foundations of Spanish culture and the Mediterranean diet. It brought on board a renowned eco-chef and created a website proposing seasonal traditional recipes with locally grown products. The project also launched an app that helps consumers to find the ingredients they need. But beyond that, Menu de Tierra wants to reach the youngest generation to bring about an enduring change in people's habits.
3: We also want to impact schools and improve the way that school menus are, are created. To promote this, we have created recipes as specifically for, for schools but and also uh, a price um, for schools to create a recipe. And for this price, we take into consideration how sustainable the recipe is. The recipe has to be made with organically grown ingredients. Um and waste we also take into consideration um, the the amount of waste for this recipe, um, the fact that it's seasonal and and locally grown. Um, so we're giving this this price of a thousand euros for each uh, category. So it would be for kindergarten, primary school then high school. Um, and and we're very excited about it actually.
5: So our young listeners in Spain should visit the Menú da Tierra website and apply for this prize for their school. But before leaving Merichel, could you give us a warming winter recipe? Maybe something sweet.
3: Uh, yes. So this is a this is a recipe from the Basque Country because um, one of the things of our project is that we. We include recipes from different regions, from Spain, and this is a walnut um, walnut cream dessert. It's in chauras in salsa, and so the translation in Spanish would be crema de nueces. So it has 500 milliliters of milk, 500 milliliters of uh, whipped cream, two cinnamon sticks, 200 uh, grams of peeled walnuts, 200 grams of uh, sugar, and then it has um, some walnuts to to decorate.
5: Hmm, sounds tempting. Thanks, (music) Merichel. Now that we're at the end of this series, we asked Angelo Salci to look ahead and to set out his vision for the next generation of environmental leaders that's emerging.
0: I I would call for more action and a bit less talking. Uh, and, and that's why, for me, the live program, together with other examples uh, that are visible across the globe, they, uh, they, they really strike my imagination as the way forward. It's the brick by brick story and also the, the feeling of uh, pertaining to a group, a family that wanted to do something to really change. Not only let's talk, let's meet, Uh, Let's
5: protest, but let's do. Indeed, let's do. And we asked Sophia Eriksson-Waterskott about how young people in Europe can benefit from green opportunities created by the European Year of Youth, now that it's coming, at least formally, to an end.
7: Well, I would invite uh, anybody who is listening to actually look into our uh, European Youth Portal, uh, this is more than a website. This is really a place where you, you find everything around European Year of Youth, all the activities. And you have, a, for example, an interactive map where you find uh, more than the 8,000 activities that are, are being organized over the year. But you can also uh, inscribe if you want to take part. For example, you can take part in the European Solidarity Corps. You can inscribe to this at the European Youth Portal. You can also inscribe to... Um, the Discover EU action, which is a way to discover Europe from the train, the winter rail. So there are a lot of things there uh, on, on EU's actions uh, on youth policies and beyond. So I welcome anybody interested to have a look at that.
5: Thank you, Angelo Salsi and Sophia eriksson Vartescott, for your words looking to the future of green ideas and inspiration led by a new generation. We'd like to thank all the participants from the LIFE community that have accompanied us in the making of this podcast series, which has taken us all the way across Europe and through three decades of the LIFE programme, from nature conservation to climate protection, from biodiversity to the circular economy, developing the innovations that are giving all of us hope in a brighter, greener, sustainable future. So here's to the next 30 years of the LIFE programme. And we can definitively say that this Life is 30 series has shown us that life, it's what you make it.
7: Dear listeners, thanks for tuning in to Life is 30, the podcast series celebrating 30 years of the LIFE program, the EU's funding instrument for the environment and climate action. LIFE is 30 is brought to you by CNEA, the European Climate Infrastructure and Environment Executive Agency. Research and production by Margarita Sforza and Claire Taylor. Our thanks to all the members of the LIFE community.